Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 329. <laughs> I had to think about that there. Uh, I am Peter, joining me as always is Matt. Hey, what's up? This is a DC Comics podcast. We get together, we talk about DC Comics read this week. Coming up on this week's show, we have Batman issue 129, Gotham City year 1 issue 2, the new champion of Shazam issue 3, Poison Ivy issue 6, the Dark Knights of Steel issue 8, and I've got a Patreon book that I'm going to do, which is American Vampire issue 30. So that is what's coming up this week. It was a lighter week, which is nice because the last two weeks were both pretty... Partly because, you know, we had the week off and we had to make up for it, but it made for two busy, busy weeks. So it was nice mm-hmm. to have a, a chill week, especially as I got almost no sleep last night. So I was thankful for a, a lighter load today. Yes. Very thankful. Now, is that is that by choice because you've been busy? Oh, not or, at all. I uh, I fell asleep early thinking, oh, great, I'm going to get a nice long uh, sleep and woke up like gotcha. three hours later and couldn't get back to sleep. And, That's the worst. Yeah, I, I hate it. It's absolutely diabolical. But <clears throat> here we are. We'll get into things. Uh, yeah, not much in the way of news or anything this week. Although, one small thing, Stargirl season three is its last season. I think that was this week. Oh, I should watch season two now. <laughs> um, I don't know, like, how much they knew it might be the last season and if they were mm-hmm. planning on ending it or like having a sort of plot that wrapped up without a cliffhanger but uh mm-hmm. yeah so that's the which basically i believe because uh, flash has got one last season but they announced that was the last season already mm-hmm. superman and lois is the last superhero show on the cw that is still mm-hmm. technically active and that it might get another season after this one but i mean honestly there's no guarantee the, right. the, the way CW has been axing things and yeah, whatnot. Uh, I don't know. Dang. I went banking it. Yeah, but I mean, I know they were the last one to start too, but it's just weird that that's the one that's left standing. It's just funny because at the height of all these CW shows, there was, I think, there was a point when there was like six on at once mm-hmm. in a week, and it was literally... Oh, if you want to keep up with all these, it's going to take you know hours of your life in the week to watch them all. I couldn't keep up three. Once we were at Arrow, Flash, and Legends, uh, that was it. I had, I had to stop. Sure. So yeah, I can't uh, imagine six. Uh, that was you know Supergirl, Black Lightning. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you had Batwoman. Um, and I'm sure I'm forgetting other things that get added on eventually. But yeah, so yeah, there was a lot of things going on. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, I enjoyed Star Girl season one, season two less so, but still had some fun. It was more up and down, mm-hmm. but uh, I've not watched any of season three. I, I hope it's fun, but uh, yeah. I'll, I'll get is to it, it at some point. So, is it already done or is it still airing? No, I think I think it's uh, just about to start. No, 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 I think it's airing now. It's it's already started okay. airing, but it's not finished yet. Uh, so, yeah, no, no there, there was definitely a. Uh, a lot of things to like in Stargirl, especially... I, mean, I thought it was better than most of the LCW shows, mainly because it started as not a CW show. <laughs> yeah, it has a heart to it the first season that I really enjoy. Mm. Um, yeah, for so, all its faults, there's a, there's a lot to like there if you like the characters. Yeah. There. Well, yeah. and I really like Luke Wilson as, as uh, Stripe. So, Stripesy. So, um, he just he's a good dad energy. And... He uh, fits in fits in on that show really well, because sometimes the the CW actors sometimes feel out of place. Mm. He he felt right right in place. <clears throat> yeah, but uh, other than that, Matt, do you know what time it is? 
Uh, time for us to talk about books? Oh, no, 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 no. There's time for something else first. There's always time for it, in fact. Vanilla. That's a, that's a, t- that's a TV podcast uh, Shoot. running joke. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, this is, of course, your Comixology Top 10, everyone. We'll look at the top 10 as of right now on Comixology, uh, a.k.a. Amazon Kindle, because that's really what it is mm-hmm. now. But, um, yeah, so as per usual, as with recent weeks, we have the, the Tuesday books, which are DC's books we'll look at, and then we can look at the rest of the industry from the Wednesday, because they split them now on the charts, unfortunately. But yep. uh, we'll get into it, so... What do you number one is, man? All right. So I, I had a choice to go here. It, it's definitely a Batman book. But which Batman book? Mm. Um, I'm going to go just because it's new with the Batman Joker Daily Duo by Mark Silvestri. Oof. No. <laughs> Dang. Swing and a miss. No. Batman 129 is the go. number one book. Number two is Batman and Joker, The Deadly Duo, uh, which notably neither of us decided to read because no. we didn't want to, uh, is, is the simple answer. Uh, I'm out. Uh, number three is Dark Knights of Steel, issue eight. Tom Taylor prints money. Uh, apparently. Uh, number four is Gotham City, year one, issue two. Uh, number five is The New Champion of Shazam, issue three. Uh, and then we get to kind of the, the, the rest here. And I say that because I feel like that's all the big books done. You got the Joker, uh, The Man Who Stopped Smiling, issue mm-hmm. two. Oh, sorry, Stop Laughing, not Stop Smiling. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't see the rest of the title. I was trying to do it from memory. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number seven is Poison Ivy, issue six. Number eight is Sword of Azrael, issue four. Uh, number nine is Batman Shadow War, which is notably a trade, not a single yep. issue. Uh, and then Monkey Prince issue eight is number ten. So, I mean, obviously Monkey Prince wasn't selling particularly well, but the, yeah. the fact that a trade's out selling it uh, on its week is. Uh, I is, mean, it is, is a limited series too, so it'll it'll be wrapping up soon. I believe it's out of ten. Yeah, so. something like that, ten or twelve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, the first Batgirls trades uh, right after that, and then Task Force Z Volume Ones after that. So yeah, the, the, you can see the trades kind of sprinkling in there. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a later week for DC. There's not as many big books, uh, and that's why you're seeing a trade sneak out of the top ten because normally mm-hmm. you wouldn't see that. You you just have uh, ten plus you know single issues that are big enough to be up there. But uh, mm-hmm. this week. I feel like week two was the quiet week for a little while, but there's a couple <laughs> of new things next week. So week two is looking a little healthier, and week one now looks quite quiet. Uh, especially compared to last month, because last month had like two Dark Crisis books and yeah. something else in week one. Uh, and if you look at Wednesday uh, for the rest of the industry, mainly Marvel, of course, but uh, mm-hmm. maybe with a sprinkling of other things in there, uh, what would you think is number one is, Matt? I'm with X-Men Red. You're right! Matt knows Marvel more than DC. I, well, I didn't. I didn't see the AXE event, so just go with X Men after that. Wise, wise choice. Mm. Uh, yeah, X Men <laughs> Red issue eight is number one. Number two is Secret Invasion issue one. Yeah, and can right. I just like it's one thing renumbering the ongoing books that's all that have always got a book. Right, there's always an Amazing Spider Man. There's always a mm-hmm. a Fantastic Four, Uncanny X Men. I mean, there's not Uncanny X-Men right now, but I'm, there's not a doubt in my mind that within a couple of years, Uncanny X-Men as a title will be back and it'll probably yeah. be issue one again. And that's fine. I'd rather than renumber it, but whatever, it's fine. But something really irks me about taking something that was this, you know, what, eight-issue event 
and just doing another book with the exact same title. It annoys me. Yeah. I don't it's like it. It's not even Secret Invasion 2. No, no, it's just, no. It, it's Secret Invasion, yeah. At least when at least when they ran Civil War back, they had the temerity to call it Civil War 2. Uh, yeah, yeah. Obviously, I mean, they've been guilty of this before. You know, they had a Secret Wars event. It was mm-hmm. the exact same title as the, as the original one, but yeah. Uh, so this is a five uh issue miniseries yeah uh, it's an oversized issue one can't uh, can't imagine that it's not going to play into the secret invasion tv uh series coming to disney plus well i mean it's not going to tie in from a canaro not tie in but yeah but, yeah but feel like the reason that it exists that's why is, yeah that's why it exists yes yeah, yeah. they're, they're trying to cash in yeah you would say yep which uh, i did you read the first secret evasion so, you know, I don't think I ever did actually. It, it was, was uh, it was actually pretty pretty good. Um, it was one of those things that I'd I'd read the, the first little chunk of Bendis's new mm-hmm. probably up to Civil mm-hmm. War actually, um, and I kind of just sort of fell off there. But I always yeah. kind of wanted to go straight through up to Secret Invasion, and yeah. it was it was pretty good. Even not reading his ex or his ex stuff, his Avenger stuff, just jumping in with the you know the this team of returned heroes comes back, and you don't know if the scrolls have been the other ones the entire time or if these you know ones that have, are coming back that look like the old heroes are the scrolls and then you get to the whole you know scroll um extremists it was, it was pretty fun we end up with the uh, hammer with with um osborne assuming control of shield mm-hmm. so um a lot of fun times at marvel back then a lot, of, a lot of status quo changes uh and i can't imagine this will be the same but hopefully Hopefully people enjoy it. There was a lot of things people really praised in the 2000s with Marvel, that first, you know, mm-hmm. that decade. Uh, you know, obviously Cap was on a bit of an all-time run with Brubaker yeah. and stuff like that. See, this is by Ryan North and Francisco Mobili. No idea who either of those two are, but um, maybe this will make their name. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, number three is Hulk, issue 10. Donny Cates is on this book. Um, mm-hmm. So that's going. Uh, and then we got number four was Deadpool issue one, new Deadpool book by Alyssa Wong and Martin Kokolo. Let's see. <laughs> uh, yeah, Kokolo. Kokolo. It's a fun name. Yeah, it is. Ooh, the writer of Iron Fist. Uh, that's cool. I'm not a Deadpool guy, but I'm I'm glad there's a new series for him. Yeah. So then we have number five is She-Hulk issue seven, which, mm-hmm. you know, at least they had a new book kind of out in the stands mm-hmm. for when the show was on, uh, yeah. which is nice. All these awesome Jen Bartel covers makes me want to buy them, but then I was like, well, I don't have time to read DC, let alone Marvel. Did you so. uh, watch all the show? Oh yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was just takes the. I won't spoil it. I'll just say that yeah. the finale went even more into the meta than I thought it was going to. Yeah. Uh, to, to, even 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 towards the end, I have people that are upset with a certain character that shows up at the end, and I'm like that. that I feel that's meta. Um, that's uh, them not confirming something, but that that's a a commentary on on the storytelling at Marvel. So yeah, no, I think I mean there's a little bit of a toothless element because I think a lot of the stuff it's mm-hmm. poking fun at is very true, which is why it was mm-hmm. funny. 
But yeah. at the same time, I don't think Marvel's going to actually address any of this in any of the storytelling no. and anything else going forward, which is which makes me feel a little bit toothless in that sense. But yeah, uh, it's like, hey, we'll poke fun at the fact that we do this, but we're not going to change anything because we're right. not going to, you know. That, anyway, I don't. anyway uh, but it was it was fun. Mislani was good uh, in the role. Oh yeah, she uh, was way way good. I liked uh, Ruffalo as Hulk. Um, always always nice to see him, especially as mm. as the combo Hulk. So, um. But yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it, and I want to go back and read the Soul stuff because I guess it borrowed heavily from that, and uh, that that escaped me. Even though I love Soul as a writer, so his pre-Star Wars running days. Yeah, uh, number six is Punisher issue seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Jason Aaron who's doing that. So, uh... what? I missed a Jason Aaron Punisher. <laughs> Apparently, we're seven in, and I did not know this. Yeah, I didn't know this either. Wow. Maybe, uh... I don't know. I love how, for some reason, when I clicked on the Punisher book just to see uh, the details, um, the more items to explore section, because obviously it's just the Amazon page, yeah. uh, it's all, like, lingerie. I'm like, why Why is this what's been recommended when you're looking at Punisher issue 7? Well, let's just say that it's a very um, spicy clientele that reads Jason Aaron's Punisher. Apparently so. Yeah. Um, and I certainly can't think of anything I was looking at that would be <laughs> basing this on my history. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We had a, a Daredevil showing up. Hmm. Oh, man, I'm going to have to go get caught up on this. Uh, we got number seven, which is Hell to Pay issue one. So this is our first non-Marvel book of the Wednesday section. Uh, Charles Soule book with Dave Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, looks of it. Yeah, it's a book about curses and magic, and it's got, yeah. got like a demon-looking dude in the cover, or even a devil, even more specifically. Yeah. Uh, number eight is Avengers Forever issue ten. Uh, Jason Aaron with Aaron Kudder. Uh, and then you got number nine is Star Wars issue twenty nine. And then number 10 is Captain Marvel issue 43, which actually is still by Kelly Thompson, so that's a reasonably sized run that's built up with yeah. that. Um, I read the first, like, maybe two arcs? Maybe first arc, I don't know. Like, I like Kelly Thompson a lot. Um, I didn't mm-hmm. like Captain Marvel at the start as much as I did, say, any of her West Coast Avengers or Hawkeye or any of that stuff, but it, it was, you know, solid enough. I do wonder yeah. uh, what, what the arcs since then have been like, because if she's, if she's gotten like 40 plus issues out of it now, yeah. uh, there's potential for some good stuff in there. Man, that Hawkeye run was so good. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that is the top 10. Uh, as far as anything notable outside of that, uh, nothing's really taken my eye. Uh, I, I, I really dislike that Predator cover. That's uh, Predator issue 4 is at number 12. I'm looking for it on here. It looks really see. 90s to me. I mean, maybe if I click on it. Yeah. It does. Yeah, it's very very 90s looking to me. Uh, and not, not good 90s. More... Yeah, not not hollow foil 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not good 90s. But there you go. All right, well, there's a comic sold to top 10. Cool. Uh, all done for Z-Week. Okay, so... um. I've room flickered for a second. Don't worry. Uh-oh. It's just, just, just windows being windows. <laughs> Nothing to worry about. Ooh. Nothing to see here. Uh, did you have a good October, Matt? 
I, I did. I didn't get to watch enough movies, though, because work, <laughs> you know, BS, throwing in overtime. So, but uh, it was it was still pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, I I, I don't know. I was I watched twenty something horror movies. I watched other movies too for other reasons. But uh, yes. as far as horror viewing goes, I got, I got to like twenty one. I think. Yeah. Uh, Tim, of course, my co-host on the horror movie podcast. Got to, I think, 91, I think was the number. Yeah, he was putting up, like, so on Instagram, he was putting his viewings up. Mm-hmm. And there was always, there would always be, like, four. And as someone that, like, gets home and is super tired, I can't watch four movies before bed. Well, no, here's the thing. He he watches half of these while he's working, because he works from home now. Yeah. yeah, 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 I know. But he would put, like, tonight's viewing on, and I was like, Bro, I can barely get through one movie. You're sitting there watching two or three. <laughs> but yeah, then and I just realized Tim's at a different level. So. What was funny though is that that is actually a low amount. Like, because obviously we expected that when he had mm-hmm. a kid, oh, you can't watch as many in October now. His, his right. October's are going to be uh, basically hampered for at least mm-hmm. a decade, right? Until you know the, the the kid's old enough to just be ignored. Right. <laughs> um, Jeez. Jeez. Um, but so that's his, and that is that is a, that is a he he was like two hundred movies a couple of years ago before before the daddy era <laughs> he was at two hundred something it was madness Good lord man yeah well obviously my highlight was my vacation away to California yes, of course. but uh, yeah yeah but it was all right I don't know uh, anyway, oh, I, I, actually on that subject it is the fifth of yes. November as we record this so if any firework noises oh, creep shoot. into the recording uh just don't worry about it <laughs> I can't do anything to stop it so. Uh, I did not know because there was not a bunch of Guy Fox uh, posts on my social media this morning. So finally, we've settled down. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, people just—it's just an excuse to let off fireworks more than anything else. To be honest, yeah. I, I don't really yeah. uh, notice anything else. Uh, it is getting cold though. Like this last week has been the first time of like, oh shit, my hands are cold just all the time. Uh, yeah. It's it's been forty degrees here, uh, which to you is nothing, but to us, that's uh, I've been doubling up on jackets to go to work in the morning. Wait, hold on. Fahrenheit sounds pretty cold. Yeah, it is. But that's yeah. when I when I complained to Connor. Connor's like, "Oh, that's still shorts weather." And I was that's, like, that is not short because that isn't like because thirty three or something is equal to 32. zero. Thirty two. Yeah. Thirty uh, two. Yeah, that's equal to zero Celsius. Yeah. Far must be like four degrees. That's not shorts yeah. weather. When when I showed up to go play football this morning at like eight a.m. eight eh, it was about eight thirty something when I got there, it was still like forty six degrees. By the time we got up and running around, sun higher in the sky, it was in the fifties. It was a, it's more manageable. It was but, a little bit warmer yeah. today, but yesterday when I went for a walk, it was zero degrees outside Celsius. Yeah, that's that's too cold. We're starting to hit the the, the freezing temperature yeah. a little bit, which uh, sucks. So for the first time this year, I well at least since February anyway, uh, I had gloves on. I had my big puffy jacket on. It was you know, it's this winter weather. <laughs> One of the guys I worked with uh, is from Hawaii, and he's not used to the cold. He came in. It was raining on Thursday. He comes in with what looks like uh, a, a jacket you would wear to scale Everest. <laughs> it was so funny to me. I was like, hey, man, what was the peak like? Uh, uh, did they have like, the furry hood? And... Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, yeah, like yeah. a parka-like hood, and it was uh, like a heavy, like, like to go snowboarding in type jacket. And he's like, oh, I get cold easy. 
I was like, no, man, I get it. I get it. <laughs> so, but it was, it was super funny. This is only his second uh, winter in Vegas. So he, you know, it still takes some time to adjust. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the run up to the Christmas season has begun. <sighs> Already hearing music. Uh, I took off Wednesday from work to go out and out with my wife uh, for her birthday. And we were already hearing the Christmas music being played. And it was only, you know, it was only November 2nd. <laughs> so, yeah. you know. I, I, I'm, you know what? I'm cool with things starting on the 1st of December. Like, all of December can mm. be Christmas month. I'm cool with that. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, leave November alone. Like, yeah. you know, ha- have some non-holiday time between Halloween and Christmas to get used to normalcy again. Before I mean, we... You kick yeah, in. Here we have Thanksgiving, which is my favorite. Uh, yeah, one of my favorite holidays, just just for the food. But you don't you decorate know? for Thanksgiving. It's not. Not really. I mean, it's all just you know, it's less spooky fall. So we still leave pumpkins out. We still have the same color schemes, you know, for decorating. But yeah, no, I told my wife she she can't put up the Christmas tree till after Thanksgiving. Mm. So uh, I still have to wait. But you know, the Christmas stuff's already coming. Uh, and I, I am counting down for Violent Night. Do you, uh, uh, do you know what we call Thanksgiving here? I do not. Thursday. Uh, of course, I walked right into that. <laughs> trying to think if you guys had an equivalent like no. Canada does, but theirs is in like September. Um, yeah, so I don't can, know. Yeah, Canada just to say they wanted to also do Thanksgiving, yes. but on a, on a different day because it doesn't yeah. make any sense to celebrate the same the thing. same time. Yeah. And yeah, so no, the more I learn about, you know, U.S. history, the less I'm kind of like, oh, that's like not a story that happened, to the more I'm like, well, this is a day off, we get to spend with family, eat food, you know, watch and play football, and then take a nap. So what else can I argue with? Sounds like a perfect holiday to me. Ah, uh, too much sport. Nah. <clears throat> too, too much, too much family. <laughs> well, sometimes I'll agree there. Uh, <laughs> So, too much of these but yeah, things no. but yeah no uh, on, on Halloween I finally watched Reanimator um was not expecting it to be that icky with the uh, with the ex- I don't know what I was expecting like I know it's Reanimator but like just the sheer amount of of bubbles and and, <laughs> and stuff exploding it's more of a black was... comedy than anything to be yeah, honest yeah 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 no mm-hmm. I just wasn't expecting you know that the the amount of goo I should say in that movie. So, but yeah, I got to got to knock that one off the list finally. So, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I watched a bunch of classics over like Halloween itself, uh, but I watched a bunch of new stuff throughout the month. Uh, what I would recommend to you actually, um, mm-hmm. don't have to wait for October for it. Uh, mm-hmm. If you get a, if you get a Shudder for any length of time, yes, uh, check out Deadstream. Oh, already did. Oh, you already did? That. Okay. No, right, done. Yeah, watch that. Let's see how many ago. Watch that like two weeks ago. Okay. Thoroughly enjoyable. It's making me want to watch because I know Tim was putting over the the two new VHS movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I guess those creators have one and, and one of them. The newest one. Them, I can't remember. It's just the newest one, yeah. I think. So, and it was, yeah. I wasn't expecting it to go full into what it did. Uh, I don't want to spoil it for people because I want people to have the same yeah. experience I did. But it, it, it starts to hit some certain horror movie trope there towards the end, and I loved it. Yeah. I just thought the guy, who's also the co-director, uh, yeah. but the actor, I thought he was just really funny. 
Like the way yes. the way he did this douchebag, like YouTube personality mm-hmm. character, I just thought was perfect. For sure. Yeah, no, I would, uh, watched that stream. Uh, that was based off of you and Tim's recommendation. Mm. Um, it's not very often that I get one that after Tim watches it, he messages me. Mm. And he's like, I think you would really like this. So, um, but yeah, watch that one. I just pulled up my list to see what else. Um, we watched Nighthouse. Did you see Nighthouse, Pete? Uh, yeah, I saw Nighthouse. Yeah, yeah I, I like that one. That one was a pretty... Wasn't expecting much, but that. Uh, did you see Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? Yeah, no, yeah. It's on the to-do okay. list. Yeah, we rented that one. Um, very much different than the trailer. Um, still still good like it, it's kind of mid-level um but yeah um different movie than than what i thought it was so uh which is a good thing because you think it's going to hit certain uh certain story elements and it goes a different direction so uh characters though i was rooting for all, all of them to get it <laughs> it was one of those movies where you're just like i do not like these characters um did you so, see the trailer for Megan by chance? I have. I am I am excited to see how if it is as bad as I think it's going to be or if it's going to surprise me. It was a wild ride of a trailer cuz I yes. went from this looks like shit to uh-huh. this looks so shit that I'm actually excited to see it now. It's malignant level, right? Like I'm getting the same tone as malignant from that trailer. I could see that. I could see yeah. that. Uh, where they like they know that it's the schlocky bad movie and they're just going to run with it um and it's from the same creative team as as malignant different director but uh one is producing um it, it definitely looks better than the new child's play that came out um that wasn't know, that, that was bad though it wasn't that bad but i also didn't feel like it was that good like like at least this is taking that that same kind of story and doing its own thing. Because I wouldn't recommend it as a Chucky movie, but on its own, no. it was it was yeah, 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 yeah. it was all right. Yeah. So. But yeah, oh, I got to see. I went out to the Monster Museum last weekend. Did I, did I talk about this on the show? No, because uh, we went. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so because we recorded after I had went, but uh, saw a screen use Chucky that the guy had because he's friends with what's what's the guy's name that has the rights to Chucky. Oh, Don Mancini? Uh, yeah, Mancini. The the guy that runs the Monster Museum is a special effects guy, and he's friends with him. So he gave him one of the ones to display in the Monster Museum. Everything else is kind of... There's a lot of screen use stuff. The guy works in a lot of B-movies and Choma, but he mm. loves it. Like That's not like a downgrade. He thoroughly loves what he does. So there's a lot of like screen use puppet master things that he created because um, he works with Full Moon a lot. But yeah, um, this was the one big movie thing. I think it's from Child's Play 2 because it's before he gets all... Uh, Chucky gets all chopped up and put back together. Um, so that was pretty cool uh, to see that piece of history. But yeah, everything else in the Monster Museum is um, the guy uh, Tom Devlin. He he creates from scratch, so um, that was pretty cool. Also, a a Michael Myers screen use mask, but from uh, Rob Zombies. So Aww. it was so cool. Yeah, it was so cool to see the the shape mask, but it was Tyler Mains, not not a proper. I'm you know, I'm not Castle. Michael just now, but ooh, fantastic! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, but yeah. So that a lot of he's friends with Kane Hodder, so there was a lot of cool, uh, Jason Voorhees stuff. Uh, nothing screen used, but he he has a section of the Friday the Thirteenth, uh, 
area. That's all of Kane Hodder's Jasons. Oh. So that was that was cool. Um, he had a had a full display for you know takes Manhattan, which, which of course I had to get a picture with. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was it's a lot of fun. When if you ever come out here, we'll have to go out because I think you would like it. Just just for the kind of low key, and all the horror movie aspect of it. Um, a lot of fun stuff. All right. Well, yeah. let's get into the books then, shall we? Um, Sweet. Let's get cracking. Batman issue 129, Chip Zarsky writing with Jorge Jimenez on the art. So, yeah, last month was the, this was the episode that I did with Connor, because me and Connor talked about the last issue, and we kind of noted that this, this arc, and indeed this run so far, has been kind of interesting in that there's been multiple end-of-issue cliffhangers that have made me go, Mm, don't know how I feel about that. And then yeah. the next issues like made it work. Like, you know, like I don't mm-hmm. know how I feel about Zero and R and oh no, that's actually it's kind of perfect mm-hmm. what he's done with this. Um so last issue had this cliffhanger that uh Failsafe had taken over Gotham and it was kinda like you know, Gotham was under siege by him. And mm-hmm. it kinda made me groan a little bit because one, we've done this a lot in Gotham with a lot of villains, but even just recently <laughs> We, yeah, especially recently. It's yeah. like, it's happening twice a year. Yeah, you know, we, we kind of did it with, uh, obviously we did it with Bane during the whole, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Tom King run, but even yeah. after that, like, I feel like Fear State kind of had elements of this, and... Joker? Um, yeah. The, the Joker yeah. War? Joker War, like, yeah, I feel like we've done it enough that, uh, I don't think this issue, well, I think there's good things in this issue, I don't think it it took away my groan of just what, mm-hmm. you know, what feels... And the sad part is, is that I actually think as the issue goes on and it just, it just becomes failsafe chasing Batman to the, mm-hmm. the watchtower on the moon and coming after him again like a Terminator even though he's in space, I was like, this is still good. Like, why did we need the uh, time to take over the city to do this? We could have just, just went straight to this. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just part of the story where Bruce can't be in Gotham. And like, but there was a way you could do that without him taking over. Yeah, because, you know, I kind of groaned a little bit at the, uh, like, you know, around every corner there's a Joe Chill. That was a yeah. part of the narration yeah. at the start. It's not a big deal, because you know, like, no. most of the writing's good, because Zarsky knows what he's doing, but mm-hmm. that was just one of those things where it's, it's like, ah, you're referencing the, you know. Yeah, it's definitely this, this, I like the commentary that Zdarsky's bringing about Batman that's gone too far, but in this case it's an android, and then uh, we get in, he puts into the dialogue from Bruce that Every time, like, this is not the first time Failsafe's been triggered because of something Batman's done, but it was Alfred that was able to shut it back down from the cave. And because of the the whole scheme that Penguin played and Alfred not being there, this is the time that it finally got loose. So uh, I is, do like that. There is two things I like about that. One, <clears throat> the idea that this robot is kind of Batman without the humanity and mm-hmm. everything that's wrong with that, you can kind of see on display. So if mm-hmm. you... So without his humanity, he doesn't care about the family, he doesn't care about Babs right. and Dick and Co. So you see this very cold version. That, this could be what Bruce is if he didn't have right. that side of just Yeah, they're just tools because Oracle's being, you know, she's being used as basically Oracle, but she has no free will. You know, she's almost just like a computer program. And then the other side to that is the Alfred thing, which is uh, the idea that Alfred's the one, the only one who could turn off Failsafe or reset him mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. When you think about what Alfred provides mm-hmm. to Bruce as his role, this idea that Bruce comes in after a night of being Batman and he's too distant and cold. Alfred, until the family grew to all these other characters, Alfred was mm-hmm. the one who kind of kept him tethered to humanity. He was yep. this 
this family figure for him that was keeping him his human side alive. So this idea that Alfred was the one thing that could shut down the the, the cold robot side of Bruce is actually kind of mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah, I do love that. Uh, Child of the Humanity is exactly what I was going to say too. So, and you know, that's why I always appreciate like that that Tom Taylor Father's Day story with Alfred. You know, you put that in the context of here, and that you know, Alfred really did care for Bruce, not as much for Batman, and so he wanted to make sh- sure that he stayed. You know, the not the little boy exactly, but you know, basically his son, and you know, Alfred served as that reminder. Not to go too far. And now without Alfred, not that Bruce has gone too far, but he's, and he's not untethered, but there wasn't anything there, you know, to keep that failsafe from being activated. No, but I think failsafe is meant to be this, like, the the horror story of what Bruce Mm -hmm. could be without these other parts of him. You know, I think that's kind of part of the point. Yeah. Uh, so you have uh, obviously him chilling with Aquaman in Atlantis. Uh, Failsafe kind of realizes that Arthur's the only like superhero who's not kind of tried to come into Gotham. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I did think it was kind of funny how they just kind of like in one line or two lines kind of like say, "Ah, oh, like most of the superheroes have tried to come and like sort of like rescue Gotham, but Failsafe set up stuff to stop them from interfering." Yeah. I'm like, that's a lot of really powerful people Failsafe's been able to hold off. <laughs> yeah, and, and so because Batman thing, but here I'll allow it because it is the robot, you know? Mm. So, but it's also to me too, is like, well, the Justice League's like, well, nothing bad's happening to Gotham right now, right? So we don't, maybe we'll just leave that alone yeah. and we'll help Bruce elsewhere. Well, I, that's where I, I felt like Aquaman comes in. I think it says at one point, uh, 17% of the heroes are just occupied elsewhere. So... Yeah. Maybe that's the most powerful ones. Maybe maybe yeah. that's why this is you know went so smoothly mm-hmm. for failsafe. Uh, the back half of the issue I did quite like a lot though, which was uh, Bruce is like on the watchtower. He suspects that failsafe is going to like destroy all the teleporters down on Earth, so there's only one mm-hmm. left, so that you know Bruce can only come out of one door effectively. Right. Uh, but instead, failsafe you know makes an attack on the on the watchtower, and it's actually you know this is the, the fun action of the issue is him like coming through space, landing on the moon. Uh, mm-hmm. stalking Batman through the halls of the Watchtower. It's just really well-drawn action from Jimenez, uh, a lot of, like, momentum and stuff. Uh, you know, Batman's got this big electro sort of magnetic gun to try and yep. uh, take down Failsafe. Uh, big fun part is when Batman actually, you know, reaches the airlock, uh, or the hall, if you will, and Failsafe goes out into space, he gets sucked out, and, uh, you know, there's just fun stuff like that. Uh, the big cliffhanger, though, is that Batman tricks him he kind of pulls a do you, know what, do you know what this is actually it's the end of mm-hmm. superman 2 if you remember at the mm-hmm. end of superman 2 uh superman goes into the chamber to like uh remove his powers because that's what zod wants him to do and then mm-hmm. the little twist is is that he changed it so that the chamber was the safe place that would be okay and it was the rest yep. of the fortress that would like have their powers taken away so you know zod mm-hmm. and his lose their powers I've always thought that was a little bit silly because I'm like, wait, how can yeah. you just do, like? I assumed there was stuff in the chamber that made well, it happen. It was it's not just <laughs> like yeah, but that's also the same movie where Superman takes the S off and throws it at Zod. It's well, that weird cellophane. So well, he doesn't take it off. You know. He just ha- that's just a separate thing he has. He still has yeah. it on his suit. It's not like he takes it off I know, his suit, but 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 it's still silly as hell. It's true. No, so, no. I mean, there's a few silly things in yeah. Superman too. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I'm not I'm not disagreeing with that, but yeah. Uh, so. But yeah, whatever. So, so Batman does this, um, and you know, I, I guess 
It's still a bit silly, I guess. I I, I guess I kind of buy it more from Batman because I buy that he's like opened up some panels and like you know engineered yeah. it, you know, with with science as opposed right. to like Superman in the Fortress and Superman Two, where I'm just like, what, what did he what? do? Put in the crystal yeah. into slot and say, hey, Jarrell, yeah. reverse the Polari. <laughs> yeah, here at least with the teleporter, it makes sense that he made it the teleporter be the bigger area. Yeah, right to teleport that area, not where he was. You know, it's still a, a leap of logic, but I, it's one that I can follow. Yeah. Uh, so he teleports Failsafe back down to Earth, um, and he gets immediately there's like a sort of net that lands on him because he was expecting mm-hmm. Batman to teleport down. Uh, and the cliffhanger is Batman gets sucked out into space, uh, and he's fine because he's got like a little mask that comes down over his mouth mm-hmm. and stuff. But his suit's not designed to survive the cold of space, so he tries to uh, get one of the jets from the from the watchtower to come and get him, but mm-hmm. they're all uh, disabled. And Out of like, commission, yeah. yeah. So he's like, shit, I'm in space. Uh, he's, he's doing a Sandra Bullock. He's out yep. on the orbit of the Earth, and he's probably going to die, but not really because he's Batman. It's a comic book. He'll be fine next issue, right. I'm sure. Uh, you know, maybe Superman or Green Lantern will come up and yeah. grab him. Yeah, I'm fully expecting a Green Lantern since we haven't seen a Green Lantern yet. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, makes some sense. Uh so I enjoyed the issue. I enjoyed the continued elements that I like, which is, you know, failsafe being this Terminator. Um, I like some of the kind of, you know, the, the way he's treating the rest of the Bat family kind of like tying into this idea that he represents like what Bruce would be. Like kind of in the way that, um, you know, if you take the soul away from Angel and he becomes Angelus. Like the hit television mm-hmm. show, Buffer the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, uh, there you go. You got it in. Yeah, you got a little bit of that here <laughs> with that. And I like that part. This him like yeah. controlling the city and like you know the city's like in chaos or under like like robot martial law or whatever. I'm like I don't know. We've done this so many times recently that I just I just don't give a shit. <laughs> like I, yeah. I can't care about it. So well, it also reminded me of Kingdom Come, where Bruce mm. is he's such a shell of who he was, and he has all the like the bat sentries that go through, and he keeps an eye on Gotham from the Bat Cave. Um. And so I don't know, maybe Zadarcy had gotten, you know, some influence there. I'm not sure. But but yeah, no, I agree with Pete on that one that it was just a, a little bit too much, um, you know, especially in the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, that was a good time. Like I say, the, the, the art from Jimenez. Yep. You know, it's very good. And it, it makes a lot of the, the stuff in space with the fight getting sucked out into space. <laughs> the teleporter stuff. Mm-hmm. there's a lot of good motion to it there's a lot of good uh sense of scale and it feels quite epic and all, all you know all the words you want to throw at it uh which is which is nice so um mm-hmm. yeah it's good um i guess the the only thing i wouldn't like i suppose about how the bat family are kind of been treated is that it does kind of make them all feel like uh like they're all weaker than batman because batman's going to have right. to save them all kind of thing there's a little bit of that but it's mm-hmm. you know it's, it's batman's book so i suppose i can't really whinge too much yeah, about yeah. it I mean, Dick was Batman at one point too, so you know, I feel like that should be uh, that should throw Failsafe off a little bit. I mean, Dick's know? at least trash talking uh, Failsafe yeah, uh, early true. on, which is nice. So you know, uh, mm-hmm. well, I say trash talk. He's saying Batman will come and kick his ass. I mean, it's not really trash yeah. talk, but uh, he's just stating facts. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's spitting facts. I agree. I agree. Uh, all right, what were you giving the book, Matt? Because I don't think either of us read the backup. So oh no, I read the backup. Oh, did you? Okay, what's the backup? Yeah, yeah. Then? Um, I'll do the, I'll rate the, the main story. Um, I'm going to give this an eight. Yeah, I'll say, I'll, I'll just a bit give it the eight as well. Even though I've got some misgivings about the, yeah. this Gotham City stuff, uh, the majority the of art, it, 
is really good. Yeah, the art's all ugly there. And I also wanted to comment when you brought up Jimenez, he draws uh, Barbara in a certain outfit, and it just cracks me up because that's just how Jimenez draws her with, with the collared shirt and the vest. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. You know, so that's been consistent. But yeah, um, so this backup is is the is a follow-up to the Joker where um, he's he's got people um, like hostage and um, he's telling them that, you know, his chemicals can kill people instantaneously, you know, and he understands why that's why they're afraid of him um, because he's it's the people that he has are pharmaceutical execs. And so he's, you know, talking about like, um, I'm, I'm looking through here because it's, it's, I read this early in the week. Um, oh, but he's talking about, you know, how, uh, to be happy because they make happy pills and whatever. So that's where he compares his stuff to big pharma. Um, Batman comes in and talks about how he's always prepared, but it's difficult with Joker because he's unpredictable and just a whirlwind of chaos. Um, and he says like, you know, there's only one answer to this Joker needs. Uh, and that's where the Zernar voice comes in and says that he needs to die. Um, and it's him explaining why, he, you know, he has this creed that he doesn't kill. And uh, it goes back to as a kid, he's with Thomas and Martha talking about Zorro. And that his favorite part of the movie was when Zorro stabbed one of the captains. Um, and Thomas explains to him, you know, uh, that killing's not the answer. And Bruce's like, oh, yeah, no, I know it's not real, but, you know, I still enjoyed it. So there's a standoff with Joker and, and Bruce. And uh, he's, you know, he's killed all of the scientists except for one. And, um, uh, Bruce tells him to let him go. It's with me. Joker throws these smiler rings at Bruce. Smiler rings? Yeah. So they're like batteries, <laughs> but they're just smiles. Right. Okay. Okay. And so he throws, uh, at the, the doctor. I do, you know what? And, I do like the idea uh, of Joker making his version of everything mm -hmm. Batman has just to mess yeah. with him. I, I think that's yeah. pretty funny. Like a and Joker so, mobile, Smiler Rings. Yeah, uh, right. Well, no one calls them Smiler Rings. That was me calling them okay. that, but cause I didn't have a better term. But yeah. So, so, uh, but so, so, the, the joke wing? I don't know what you, <laughs> you call yeah. it, the plane, but you're uh, <laughs> Trying to think of like a, like a punchline type thing before the character punchline. Anyways, mm -hmm. so he throws these Smiler Rings at Bruce. Bruce grabs the doctor. Oh, that's his zipline. Punchline. Zipline. Punchline the zipline. Uh, there you go. There you go. But yeah, so. Um, he goes to pull the, 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 like the tape off of the doctor that's all tied up and he has a Joker smile. So he's already been infected and Joker goes to get away. Bruce remembers his dad telling him, you know, you know, there's nothing worse than taking of life. And I say that as a doctor, cause it's my job to, to save lives. Uh, and then Bruce starts to get an effect. Uh, it looks like he's being affected by this Joker gas. Uh, and he sees his dad take a big smile and says, unless they deserve to die, but do they deserve it? Batman. And it's Zernar talking to him. And it's basically Zernar saying, you got to do what needs to be done. Um, and it's at this point that the Zernar personality takes over. And now Bruce looks at Joker uh, and goes, you, and Joker looks at him and is like, you smell like him and look like him, but you're not him, are you? And uh, Zernar tells him, oh, you know, I'm him, devil. I'm the Batman. And tonight you die. 
I always like when Joker ends. can tell that it's not. Yep. You know, it's there's something like you know. I love that he could tell Dick wasn't Bruce when Dick yep. was Batman or or things like that. I always like the Joker. There is mm-hmm. kind of this weird romance with him and Batman where he knows yeah. that it's not him. He can just look and, into his eyes and he knows it's yeah. someone else. So, in the way that Zdarsky writes these, or in our, like, so the 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 letterer makes, you know, the, the bubbles purple and whatever, but it's almost like a dark version of Adam West, is that's how I'm reading it. Um, and and so going forward now, that's how I'm going to read the Zernar, is just dark Adam West. Um, okay. So, like, here, in t- you know, he goes, and tonight, you die. I'm just, I'm hearing that uh, in that voice. And, you know, uh, Leonardo Romero's art looks, it looks very much like um, um, Fornes doing the doing the Rorschach stuff so it's this very pulpy old school style so once he takes the the evil smile there at the end it's very sinister because it's very clean lines but Bruce is in shadow um and he's hunched over and yeah just the art shifts there towards the end whereas these very clean lines and everything's very um you know everything's in in shade but not like it is here on the last page so the I have to go back and read the the backup. It's it's very it's a very good story, Zernar. Did you read the last one? No, I, which is why I didn't read oh, this one because gotcha. I, I I got to admit, oh I didn't read the last one, so I just that's why. I didn't. Okay, you know, so I read that one just because I do love the Zernar concept, and it was Bruce weighing in on he needs this other you know kind of personality to you know to put his stuff behind all those impulses and stuff. So it kind of is like a not a prequel for failsafe, but kind of you can see that's where the thread started. But yeah, so I'm gonna give this back up uh, like a uh, uh, also an eight. So I guess the whole book's an eight. Okay, that's cool. Okay. All right, uh, Gotham City Year One Issue Two. Tom King writing, Phil Hester on the art. Uh, nice to talk to someone about this because uh, I read yes. it in my own last month. Um, because Connor. Connor's the worst. The worst. He is just the worst. He's just, he's just um, I got caught up. I read the first one. Thought it was very very good. It feels like a an old film noir. Mm-hmm. And for all its for all its all the good things that come with that and all the bad things. Um, yeah, the only thing I, the only thing I didn't like about the first issue yeah. was just the on the nose thing of the bat symbol in the letter yeah. and then referring to whoever's kidnapped the kid as yes. the Batman. I was like, yeah. I mean, I'll see where it goes. Like, you know, you know, because I'm otherwise really enjoying it. And I think issue two is also really good. Uh, yes. Like, you know, obviously the art's phenomenal, fits the yes. the tone that it's going for it, and the style. It matches perfectly. And Hester hasn't always, because I remember Hester doing stuff with the Justice League with Bendis. And not that the art was never uh, bad, it just, it it always was like a fill-in issue. So it just, it seemed to lack something. But here with King, the art matches the tone and the setting so well. Yeah. It, it's really doing a lot of, uh, you know, almost half the work here, which is kind of what you want in a comic book. Yeah, the start of the book is obviously the last issue. It was uh, Slam's buddy that uh, showed up dead. Partner, and, yeah. Uh, they they thought that he, you know, he's the kind of the prime suspect. So it starts off with the the, the cops sort of like interrogating him, and he's pretty beat mm-hmm. up and stuff. Uh, there were some nice details here that I really liked about how, mm-hmm. and then this part of the timeline, uh, Metropolis actually has a worse crime rate than Gotham because mm-hmm. you know we we looked at this this book even before it came out as though this is going to be the mm-hmm. start of the descent of Gotham into what we yep. know as uh, you know when Batman first appears with this crime ridden city mm-hmm. full of corruption and all the rest of it and not to say that there's no corruption yet because I think there's sort of hints that there is it, but you know it, the corruption's yeah. there to sort of like 
keep this like facade that it's this perfect you know paradise yeah it isn't really because i don't buy the police saying that there's only been seven murders in gotham that year oh yeah only seven that have been reported yeah I, I, I suspect there's a lot yeah. of cops who are noting down oh this yeah. looks like an accident oh this was just uh, someone tripped and you know yeah. f- fell out well, some bullets and, and it's like yeah they're roughing him up you know worse than the the villains did in the last issue you know uh to slam He's getting beat up by the cops. So, uh, yeah, no, very, very good setting of the table of this version of Gotham City. And yeah, I did like that line to Metropolis, but Metropolis had like, what, 48? Yeah. Or, yeah. So. Which is part, which I imagine isn't necessarily a terrible rate. It's just, uh, no. it's just notably Gotham is at least pretending that it's much better right now. Right. right. Uh, so, yeah, that no, was, was uh, interesting. Uh, so. Yeah, he does get let out though, and the woman from last issue who gave him the yeah, what Sue was her name, uh, who gave him the letter uh, shows back up, uh, mm-hmm. and you know he's basically to get the the, the feedback of like what's going mm-hmm. to happen next, and she's going to come back and see him again uh, later that day after he gets a nap. Uh, but the way she talks about this though, it's like it's not like obviously she's the one behind it all. Like these are dangerous people that are getting her to do this. Uh, well, seemingly anyway. Um, obviously there's some parallels later on where if she, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's definitely a clear implication that she's very Catwoman-y uh, yep. later on with the jumping across the, the rooftop and all that. Yeah, that, that scene got me because when she takes it, she takes the money and then she, she jumps off the building. I was like, oh my god, this just got dark. And then you see her jumping across the, like, Catwoman. I was like, okay, King, I'm on to you. <laughs> Well, it was I very doing. yeah. So you didn't really think about it until that moment. But when you see mm-hmm. when you see her land there with the short hair, you're like, wait a minute, she looks like yep. Catwoman. <laughs> yeah, what's, yep, hap- yep. what's what's happening here? Um, it does make me wonder where it's going with all this stuff because obviously the other part of the the end of the last mm-hmm. issue was that you know this this is Slam and his ancient years telling this to Bruce, right. and he knows Bruce is Batman because he calls him Bruce a couple times. Well, he talks about it, he goes, hey, you know, and your grandparents, and that's yeah, what got yeah. me. So it's not that he was talking to Batman. I thought he was talking to Bruce, and then when the when the reveal happens, he's talking to Batman. So I was like, "Oh, okay." So of course, Slam Bradley would know that Bruce is Batman, right? Like, um, it's it's one of those things that I like that they do in comics. But yeah, um, I'm really liking this version of Slam Bradley too. It feels very on point, and you know, from what I know about the history of the character showing up in Detective Comics, it's really cool that King and Hester are making him a hero of Gotham for this era. Whereas, you know, he's just a private eye, you know, he's trying to stay out of trouble, you know, on, on both sides of the law. And it makes him very Batman-esque, you know, in that kind of proto way. Yeah, uh, so he gets the, the new letter and gives it to the Waynes. And Richard Wayne is determined to come with Slam to the drop-off point, which is on this rooftop um, in the city. Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting thing here in the scene where... Uh, Richard actually gets quite shitty and talks down to his wife uh, and mm-hmm. tells her to shut her whore mouth, which <laughs> I was not expecting. I was shocked. Yeah, shocked. That one. Shocked and appalled. Uh, yeah. But what I thought was interesting is that Slam obviously is against him coming, thinks it's a bad idea, and he tries to mm-hmm. sort of reiterate this to, to Mrs. Wayne. Um, and she kind of takes it out on him, what just happened to her, where she tells him to like know his place and right. you know mind his own business kind of thing. Um, 
I, I don't Grandpa know. and Grandma Wayne are, are very flawed human beings. Yeah, yeah. I just I thought this was yeah. quite interesting because it was like, okay, this is a direct response to what just happened to her, is that she's kind right. of doing the same thing to him. She's well, she, and- she's asserting her power because she feels that she just got uh not emasculated because she's yeah, not a man, but no, she but, got, she you know got I mean. talked down to for sure. Yeah. Um and, and treated with disrespect. I got the vibe from the first issue that she's the one that kind of runs things. Mm. And so for, for him to that was the uh, Bruce's grandpa uh, try to assert that he's actually in charge, you know, and it was just one of those things where she's just like, you know, just let him have it. Because um, there's also the thing, too, that that they tell Slam that he can't smoke in the house. Right. Because because mm. uh, uh, Grandpa Wayne hates it. But then there she is also. So it's just kind of like she's this person that does what she wants, regardless of, of rules and stuff. Yeah, and he yeah. gave it could be setting up something uh uh-huh. for a twist later on perhaps yeah uh, there's also the other element that was interesting in the last issue that the waynes are going to be building this factory in the poor part of the city mm-hmm. uh, where a lot of the minorities live and yep. when they're driving to this location like richard wayne's like hey you're friends with the black community right and that's not the word he uses for the record but yeah uh, yeah words that we're not comfortable using on a podcast uh but uh-huh. he's like um Oh, uh, maybe you could be like my inside man and uh, smooth things over. And it's just kind of like, you know, Richard, I don't think I like you very much. He, nope. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was this one where he's talking about, um, he tells him that you, you can have a purpose. If, if you solve this, you can come work for me. But also if you're the one that's behind it and you've gotten it this far, you could also come work for me. I could use you. I'm like, what were the Waynes up to two generations before Batman? <laughs> right? Yeah, like, it, it definitely painted him as this kind of morally very gray yeah. character for, which, for sure. Yeah, which I do like because, again, as someone that studies a lot of history, when you find out at a lot of the titans of industry, it's kind of like how they were, right? Like, they oh, get yeah, told yeah. in history as these heroic figures that did nothing wrong, and then you find out the, the conditions in Andrew Carnegie's... Um, Steel, steel mills, and you're just like, oh my goodness, we didn't learn this in high school, you know? Uh, yeah. It's very much like here, it's, you know, they're, they're still very much human and flawed, but the, the stories that we get down the line are very sanitized. Yeah, um, I think there's a, I think there's a lot of figures from history mm-hmm. uh, that have a lot of darker elements to them that, yep. yeah, they don't teach you at school. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean you know, there's there's a lot of things about Winston Churchill that, that the schools mm-hmm. notably don't talk about uh, in the UK. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of demons in closets that mm-hmm. I think should be talked about more. Not necessarily to like sort of change any of the good things that certain people yeah. did, but just sort of we can contextualize this and still do things yeah. better. And I think this is kind of a a realistic approach here. That yeah, mm-hmm. like. As much as we hear a lot that the Waynes are typically have been a good family and have done a lot of good things, it would be silly to not think that previous generations, as you go back in time, might have not had some more dated views on certain things or yeah, you know, or whatever. So uh, yeah, know. they're they're products of of how they were of of the they're products of society and the parts of society they roll in, right? Yeah. So this all very much checks out because this is what's set in the thirties, forties, the sixties, sixties. Okay. So this is very. I, much... I only I only remember that though because I I was uh, that was one of my little yeah. nitpicks of the first issue, is mm-hmm. that it said like nineteen sixty one or something like that, and it's like oh this yeah. is your grandfather, and I'm like wait a minute, like yeah. if you used to, I, I get that the timeline is kind of constantly rolling forward because we're trying right. to keep Batman from being too old, yeah. but 
if you said 60s to me, I would have assumed this is going to be about Thomas Wayne. And you're like, no, right. it's his grandfather, Richard. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Also, he, he just has some ideas of, of high society of that time. Yeah. Um, and whatever. Uh, and you also have to think, like, well, Thomas still, though, comes out of, you know, being raised by this guy. Kind of, not, I don't say a saint, but, like, from what we know about Thomas is that he's not his father, which is, yeah. which is a good thing. So... So, yeah, we have the big meeting on the roof. It ends up just being Sue, who's up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's not got the kid with her. Uh, she's only got an envelope, once again. Uh, and Slam, you know, a very beautiful couple of pages, this where he holds out the bag and the rain's pouring down and then there's the sort of the, uh, the silhouette or reverse silhouette, whatever you want to call it, with the, the white sort of spaces and then her with the umbrella. And he comes back into the, the stairway and he's like, no, we can't make this deal. They don't have the kid. And Richard's like, no, no, we have to. We have to do what they say. He's like, no, like, they're not, if they're not even going to show us the kid, we can't just hand over the money. Mm-hmm. This, you know, like, trust me, like, I know how this, this works, how this city works. Uh, but Richard gets kind of tough. It pulls out a gun and, like, insists <laughs> strongly, right? shall we say. Because as a, as a rich white man in this era, he's not being used to being told no. Yeah. So he's just going to go handle it the only way he knows how, and that's to throw his weight around. And again, this kind of comes back to this idea of if there's a power struggle in the marriage that mm-hmm. he's determined here to get what he wants by like mm-hmm. using a gun to like yep. force it. It's just like, no, you will not emasculate me. You will do what I say because this is, this mm-hmm. is, I'm the father. I'm the one with the money. This is what's going to happen. So Slam goes back out, gives her the money, uh, gets the envelope. And yeah, like we were saying earlier, she has this big moment where she jumps off the the, the edge of the roof mm-hmm. slam runs over looks down and she lands on the opposite roof and she sort of looks yep. back and it's hard not to think of selena a little bit yep. obviously it's not her but no but it's very bat and cat yeah where you know i run because you chase and it, yeah. again i was like king i know what you're doing you're drawing parallels here <laughs> uh, but you know uh it's so... like poetry it rhymes yeah there you go <laughs> But in this case, it actually does, and it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the note says that the uh, the kids at the cemetery were uh, like the Waynes of mm-hmm. before were buried. I don't know if it was Richard's parents or his grandparents, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, so they rush over uh, again to the cemetery. Love the mood here. You're kind of spooky. Rain mm-hmm. still pouring down. Uh, baby's not there though, and Slam ultimately ends up having to knock out Richard because he's getting to. He's getting too angry and worked up, and he's pointing the gun at him again. Yep. Uh, so Slam grabs the gun and knocks him out. Yep. Uh, and that is the cliffhanger. Is a uh, Richard just sort of knocked out next to the the Wayne gravestone and right. And and what's what's on top of that gravestone? That would be an owl. Uh, so I'm I'm feeling this is a. I think stuff's going to be revealed that the Waynes were involved with the court owls. Mm. Uh, here. They're they're being set up as very sinister. Um, they're they're Wolf involved with Gotham. But what was the court that have kidnapped the kid? Maybe I just the the notes that are being left right being signed mm-hmm. by the Batman. They don't seem like court owls type stuff. Yeah, but what what if they're mistaking the the bat for like what if, what if right? it's actually maybe an owl? <laughs> right, right. Oh, that's what leads me down those lines. Uh, so maybe the Waynes did something that have pissed off the court. And they're trying to take the kid because mm. I've never heard of Thomas Wayne having a sister named Helen. 
Now, granted, this could be retconned, and this is, might not even be continuity or whatever. Well, well, yeah, but what if the kid dies, and that's why we've never that's, heard of her? That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. what if you know? And then if this, let's say, this isn't continuity, and this leads to the whole Lincoln March thing of the Waynes, you know, maybe a, a lost sibling, you know, and that's what this is. You know, oh, so it, would, it wouldn't be Brissy's brother, but it would be like right? a, a cousin. Yeah, or... his like cousin. Yeah. From something the, along those lines from the helen lane yeah yeah so like it just seems like there's a um you know uh, just on the cover that final page is also on the cover you know so like it's just that owl is so front and center it can't be be an accident and i feel like it's foreshadowing of some type i very well might be uh, mm-hmm. That said, though, if it, t- it goes in another direction, this is just a, a little, you know, Easter egg of like, hey, the, the, elves, yeah. the court of owls were always around, and that's why we're, yeah. we're you know, that, like, that, that, that could work too. But yeah. yeah, I think you may be onto something that they're, they're mm-hmm. yeah, I, yeah, I think the idea that, that that symbol that's been drawn has been mistaken for a bat, yeah. but it's actually an owl or s- something yeah. else that could be possibly mm-hmm. mistaken. It's probably the best way to go, where it's like, oh, okay, this wasn't that contrived then, it was just the characters right. mistaking. Uh, yeah. what it was it looks like a bat but it's also a creature of the night still you know um mm. and and yeah it uh i also like the the parts of dialogue between i think it was sue and slam where they talk about the batman and she goes i don't know anything about baseball <laughs> so just this is a this is a world that hasn't heard the term batman you know and i just i really like that yeah well it's got, it's got the hyphen every time they say it yeah. as well so it's mm-hmm. uh it's definitely painting a, a slightly different uh, yep. tone to how to say it um, yeah that's a very good issue um, I like the interactions with, with Sue I like the the breakdown of Richard Wayne and kind of like showing the darker side of this part mm-hmm. of the Wayne family and just generally kind of yep. the idea that there is this kind of bubbling in the city that is you know this is going to lead to all the corruption and stuff that's you know we're used to Gotham having it I think it's kind of cool uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, the art's just really good. It really fits this pulpy noir tone that it's going for, mm-hmm. uh, and the story so far has been, been largely pretty interesting. And I'm excited yeah. to see where it goes. So yeah, uh, it's so moody. I love it. Yeah. Well, you given Gotham City your one issue two, Matt. Uh, eight point five. I almost said your two there because it's issue two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll agree with that. Eight point five. As uh, I'm happy to give that to. The new champion of Shazam, issue three, Josie Campbell writing with Doc Shaner on the art. So this is issue three of four. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we're looking for the missing foster parents uh, as Mary. Uh, and she's, you know, dealing with the, the, the family. She's got this shard of... Uh, I was actually kind of surprised, like, later on in the issue when she's like, wait, this is part of a phone. I'm like, yeah, look a phone <laughs> before you yeah. smashed it. <laughs> I don't know why you're surprised to by this. To be fair, Mary's under a lot of stress right okay, now. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give her a break. Yeah. Uh, also, shout out to the big belly burger cameo uh, early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, she wakes up and Darla, poor Darla, like she's she's determined to help and be a part of this superhero team. Uh, you know, and there's a big scene with her later on that's, you know, going to melt some hearts. But, um... Basically, her last issue, running away from the reporter when she was asked what her name was, has become a meme. She wakes up to find that there's tons of comments and videos making fun of her on the on the internet, mm-hmm. uh, and we see some of these comments, and we got some sexist stuff, and some, you know, she's ugly, or oh, we get stuck with Shazam, we don't have a proper superhero, shit like that. Yeah, a lot, uh, of, a lot of commentary on internet stuff. Well, that, to show the sad yeah. part of this is that these all feel like comments I've seen just... Yeah. 
about someone else or you know yeah. about different characters i mean we you know earlier in the episode we talked about she hulk a lot of these you could just take out mary Marvel oh yeah hulk, yeah and it's a lot of the same stuff um so but i, I do love that josie campbell is is really really has that vibe with mary just being like i'm so tired of this you know like oh, yeah. you look at her and with the Shainer art is very exasperated. I, I love the uh, the hair in this scene mm-hmm. where where like her hair's just sticking up all over the place, and she's clearly yeah. just like she's had enough of this shit. <laughs> she's uh-huh. <laughs> like she just you know so she yeah. she uses the lab at the community college to uh, investigate the shard mm-hmm. of the thing. She finds the sim card, and she even maybe theorizes that the giant croc that she fought was actually a human, obviously mm-hmm. transformed, but. The DNA actually indicates it came from a human. Um, and then we set up this teacher. And right away, I was getting my, like, secretly the villain alarm was going off. Like, yep. ding, 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 ding. Like, you know, especially when she starts talking about how, oh, you and me, we are smart. We're just better than other people. We've got more ambition and more dreams. So, you know, we're yep. better than that. I was like, yeah, you're clearly the villain behind all yeah. this. So I'm not buying anything you say, lady. Like, it's so obvious that if it doesn't happen, I'm going to be upset. <laughs> Which isn't really a complaint per se. I think it was kind of, you know, like it's, it's very much foreshadowing that like the final, yeah. the final panel of this well, woman is a close up of her eyes and it's Mary's reflection on her sunglasses. Uh-huh. Uh, as she's saying the part where she's saying, yeah, we're better than other people. Um, we well, matter. It's like, yeah, you're evil. Like yeah. you're, 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 you're broadcasting it from the rooftops here. There's that. And she's going to need a, a new TA. Mm-hmm. And she's just automatically inviting Mary to be that TA because the three guys that are her TAs. And I was like, oh, I remember when I saw three guys, you know, uh, mm-hmm. from from the issue before. So, yeah, heavy, heavy, heavy handed foreshadowing, but still. Yeah. Uh, and then Mary runs into Eugene and, you know, like he's just he, he it's not like he. He sort of plays it like he doesn't know about all the memes yet because he mm-hmm. wasn't there earlier on. But then as she's leaving, she just sort of says, hey, Mary, why are you running? Because that's kind of the, the main joke is because she uh-huh. ran away. Uh, I, I got a chuckle out of that. I think one of the things that I've really liked about this mini is that it's focused on Mary, but all of her interactions with the rest of the family have all mm-hmm. been really enjoyable yep. um, and, and, and really worked. But it, it feels like actual family dynamics, mm. you know? So Because that, that does feel like something a little brother would do just to tease her. You know, yeah. keep it close to the vest. So Mary goes looking for where some of these people have went missing, that you know, other than her parents, and it uh, leads her to like this, uh, like old railway station that's or subway station, I should say, mm-hmm. with uh, just lots of homeless people in tents, and a lot of the people that have been going missing have been homeless, which is why the police and so don't really care that much. Yep. They're just kind of like, ignoring it, and she runs into uh, Dudley, uh, Uncle Marv, uh, down yeah. here. So, are you familiar with this character from Shazam lore? Um, I mean, I recognize the name, and you know, it's yeah. hard hard not to you know think Uncle Marv, oh, the the Marvel family, you know, yeah, you know, so and so on. And, uh, yeah, and he's I, kind of been around, but he was actually introduced uh, through Mary uh, Marvel. So it's one of those things where they you know they took a character, they revamped him to to for here, um, and he fits in super well. But yeah, his his name is actually Dudley H. Dudley. So I do like that they worked that in, that he wants to be called Uncle Marv. Mm. Um, so, uh, but yeah, a very, very welcome addition. I like when they when they add stuff from old school Shazam, like yeah, when they he, added Taki Tani. 
He's kind uh, of the the friendly like leader of the group who mm-hmm. talks to Mary and you know says, "Oh, these are the people who have went missing." Here's some other stuff, and she finds some clues in one of the missing guys' tents. You know that kind of ties it to the the trials cool. that the, the college professor's been running. So again, mm-hmm. setting up that she's the villain, uh, and then a villain shows up, uh, a guy who can basically. Well, it's not clear immediately what he's doing to the others, but they're all like sort of holding their heads, and then it comes clear uh, after we get a great Shazam page of her, you know, suiting up and punching him in the face. Great, grateful yep. page spread. Um. It turns out he basically like puts like bad thoughts in your head, so kind of working on your insecurities. So mm-hmm. he just sort of looks at her, his eyes glow, and then I love what the art does here. Uh, the first time it happens is you get like a so the sentence "what a piece of utter trash" right is what's what's going into her head, mm-hmm. but the way it's represented on the art, it's as if these like letters of the words are made of like rock and they're falling down around her. It mm-hmm. looks really good. It really gives you this sense of impact. And then, you know, the next couple of pages do it in different ways where, you know, it's either like on a plain black background or it's like mm-hmm. they're all coming towards her head or something like that. Yep. Uh, but it's, it's basically all the, the YouTube comments we saw before that were mm-hmm. kind of making fun of her, but like really playing on her insecurities. And she's trying to fight through it and so on. Eventually she wins by punching uh, the heart, which is where the phone is. He's got a jacket mm-hmm. on, so you don't see it until now. Right. But she punches it with the hunch that if he's like the others, he's got a phone there that's helping him do this stuff. It's sort of this mix of magic and technology. And yeah. sure enough, uh, that breaks the, the, the spell, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but she gets woozy afterwards and uh, and yep. falls down. Uh, and he gets he escapes because of that. So, uh, yeah. really good stuff. I think the big heartfelt bit of the issue, though, is uh, the scene with Darla after this, where Mary is frustrated. She's struggling dealing with being this sort of new celebrity superhero. She's struggling being the the adult of the family. She's struggling with the fact that Billy's not there. Uh, try to find the parents being super stressful, and she goes home. and Darla is like waiting for her, and she's like, "I've been doing research. We should do research." And she keeps saying all these things. Um. And she's like, oh, it's great. You're back home where you belong. And eventually Mary, it all bubbles up and she yells out after all the stress, I never wanted to come back. And <sighs> like the, the next page, right? It's, it's that thing mm-hmm. where uh, you see Darla's big eyes looking up at her all sad. And then Mary sort of puts her hands over her mouth. Like the art here from Shainer is mm-hmm. perfect. It is yep. the perfect way of like, oh shit, I just said something that's going to break her heart and I've realized I've said it. Uh, yep. And she runs off and slams her door, obviously, and you just get Mary leaning her head against the door and, like, utter defeat. Yep. Um, and obviously Mary's not being selfish here that she wants her own life and she wants to go off to university no. and do all these things, but there is kind of this moment here where she's just been thinking about how all this is affecting her up until yep. this point. And this is This is the moment, you know? Yeah, she's clearly overwhelmed because she wanted to go off to college you know, be her own person. Yet she gets keep. Uh, she got pulled back into the family stuff because of her foster parents' uh, disappearance. And so, as she's trying to figure this out, and and Darla wants to help, but she only has you know she has that little kid exuberance that gets kind of annoying. Yeah. Um, and you know, so we understand where Mary's coming from, which I feel like that's what makes it impact even more. Is you know I've done this before. Uh. Where you're just like, okay, I didn't mean to say that. I was just upset, you know, uh, just because you're you're being weighed down by everything else, and you don't have time to, you know, keep telling this person, look, I know you want to help, but 
let me breathe for a second and we'll we'll get on this. So yeah. plus she's also like an eleven, twelve year old kid. You know, she doesn't oh, be less up than, there. Less than that. Yeah, is that is Darla that much younger? Actually like eight or something like that, yeah. Oh shoot. Yeah. She she just need to be out there right now. Especially, yeah. especially Sans Powers. Yeah, well that's the thing. that's the big cliffhanger, isn't it? Is that Darla mm-hmm. sneaks out and runs off on her own and seemingly is going to be in a lot of danger. Uh, and she's kind of looked at the research that Mary's had uh, and, you know, figured out a lot of the same things because Mary left her research out when she was yep. like, you know, she, she was looking at it before she went to sleep. And the other's like, hey, Darla's missing. Where's she gone? And it's like, oh, shit. So you really have one issue left. And I'm sad that there's mm-hmm. only one issue left because I've been really yep. enjoying this. Uh, I, yeah, I hope this this gets either an ongoing or a part two. You know, yeah, I'll, I'm I'll really take, enjoying this team together. Yeah, I'll take sequels absolutely if they want yep. to keep doing stuff. I mean, I expect Billy will be back before mm-hmm. long. I think there was, I mean, that was kind of spoiled in one of the solicits for something else mm-hmm. for like December or January. Yeah. But, but yeah, yeah, no, I just like having the Shazam family. I like, I like when we make Mary Marvel prominent uh, in it. So, just getting this and plus Shana Art, like this is it was like the perfect series for him to to show off the kind of that you know, silver aginess that we loved in, um, what was the, the Adam Strange book? Um, Strange Adventures. Strange Adventures. There we go. Um, uh, that he showed off in Strange Adventures and it, it feels just right here. Yeah, but it's, it's so, very expressive still. So there's a lot yeah. of like, you know, modern artistic mm-hmm. techniques being used, but it does yep. also look very old school and silver age at the same time. Yep. And, and I feel like that's, that's where Shazam's at its best is when it's balancing that. You know, it's not being too modern, but it's not being too old to me. I think Mary's appeal... I was thinking about this, why she appeals to me so much more than... Mm-hmm. Maybe Billy. even Billy at times, but certainly the rest of the family. And I like, you know, you know Freddy's obviously great, and I, I like the, mm-hmm. the ensemble. Darla's adorable and all that, but I, I think it's... I think it's because she's the oldest, and there's something about that, like... She's on the verge of adulthood, and she's kind of mm-hmm. burdened with looking after the rest of them, because she is mm-hmm. the oldest... And I think there's kind of this weird relatability there where she still kind of feels like a kid because she's just sort of not quite an adult yet, but she's also the one who is being forced to grow up by looking after the rest of them. That I think just appeals... Maybe it's a sort of thing where maybe that doesn't appeal to you as much if you're really young. If you're, you know, if you're a kid yourself, maybe you don't see that. But I think, I think there's this weird kind of... Um, you know, like, if you've ever seen something like Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, you know, mm-hmm. you've got the older teen girl who has to sort of step up and become the role model for the rest of them. Right. Uh, or, 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 yeah, even like a show, like the hit television show Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where mm. you've got this idea of the teen who's been thirsted with this responsibility and doesn't know how to handle it and grow up yep. a little bit. It's very relatable and likable even when they screw up, because you get why they mm-hmm. screw up, but... That's part of the the heart of yeah, it. Yeah, it, it's not quite a coming of age, but it is them coming into a, a sense of self. It's, it's basically them being forced with some adult responsibilities before they've mm-hmm. came of age, and that's kind of where yeah. the, the the clash is mm-hmm. that creates the the appeal yeah. of the story. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, yeah. So I think I think that's why Mary appeals uh, mm-hmm. a lot, just in terms of in terms of what her role is in the Shazam family. Yeah. But that's uh, cool. So. For sure. All right, what are you giving a new champion of Shazam issue three? I'm giving this one a nine. Oh. And yeah, I'm tempted to as well. I, I think I'm going to go 8.5. Okay. I really liked it, um, but I don't know if it 
sparked me quite as much as the first two issues, but I still really, really, really loved it. So yeah. uh, I'll say 8.5 for this one. So uh, there you go. Mm-hmm. All right, Poison Ivy, issue six, G. Willow Wilson writing with Marcio Takara on the art. Uh, yeah, this has been a couple since you've talked about it, Matt, so yeah. uh, take it away. So, uh, yeah, so in the last issue, we had uh, Pam coming to terms with Floronic Man, uh, and Woodrow has, you know, basically he's done this where he controls a lot of all the plant life because he's so tapped into the green, and that he took over the uh, Lamias Moors at the end of the issue, and was going to make her cut her own throat. So this issue starts with her fighting back against Woodrow um, and trying to get back control of herself. And it, you know, with Wilson, you know, playing this, it's it's a it's a woman coming to terms with the person that kind of created her. And the, you know, the whole reason of Pam existing as Ivy is because of Woodrow taking advantage of her. So in the meta context, this is Pam getting, you know, the, you know, taking the power back for herself from, from the monster that created her. And so as, you know, she starts pushing back against Woodrow and she gets back in touch with the green and uh, eventually pushes back so hard that the spectral version of herself that other people were seeing of her, kind of this monster version he sees and she ends up pushing it so hard that she brings the building down around him around them. And, you know, she gets sheltered and, and survives and has this realization that her plan was always going to fail because you can't, you can't save the world by the way that she was going to, by basically making people do what she wants. She has to save the world by getting her message into the right hands and almost causing a revolution um, by being, you know, the, the point on the spear. And she realizes that she has to get rid of all of this Lamia spore um, that, that Woodrow has, you know, taken control of. And the only way to do that is to, to consume it, in which now she has to consume what's left of Woodrow, which almost makes like this weird, like we were already talking about zombie stuff because the Lamia spores turn people into zombies that eventually, you know, explode and become more Lamia spores. So she just starts eating this dead body and it, it comes off as a very, Takara's art becomes very, I don't want to say horrific, but it is icky uh, as she's just shoveling pieces, you know, and it's mostly plant material, right? But we know this was once a living human. And she's like, you know, this version of Woodrow's gone, but like other that escaped through the green, he'll be back. So it's just this vessel of him. And so Pam starts to trip balls like heavy from eating all of these mushrooms. And she, you know, starts to have this inner monologue of, of the green is bigger than her and bigger than Swamp Thing and bigger than anything. The green's an idea. So I'm, I'm glad that Wilson comes along to the same uh, lines that Ram V did in his Swamp Thing uh, of the whole thing as a green as an idea, not just as this, you know, Parliament of Trees that picks an avatar, that it's an idea first, and that, you know, her, you know, she learned on this journey that, you know, from the other people that she has encountered, that Earth's worth saving, even though that it's broken and, and human humanity has done this to it, that, you know, we're not these billionaires that are going to get to leave the planet. We're stuck with this mess, so let's start cleaning it up. 
And she comes across this kid, and this kid looks at her and is like, oh, lady, are you okay? And she looks at him, and he's emanating green. And this is where she makes the realization that humanity and plants have a symbiotic relationship, and that for much as the green is just plants, humanity is also part of the green, and they can't exist without each other. And she comes up with this, you know, that we are the green. And and that's where she makes the, the you know, I'm going to save this planet, you know, regardless of who's going to help me or not. And so it almost has become she's not an anti-hero, but almost an anti-villain. Is that like, because at the time also she has Batman talking to her. That's the thing I skipped over. Is that there's this version of Batman in her head that's almost like the angel on her shoulder that's telling her that she can beat Woodrow. And that she's like, you know, Batman has impacted me more than I'd like to admit, but I'm also not a goody two shoes. I'm not. And you realize that she's talking to Harley and all this, that um, the the monologue, not the monologue, but the dialogue boxes are written on like paper. And that this is a letter to Harley where she's just like, hey, Harley, I love you with all my heart. But, you know, I can't do what you did and join this Bat family. I'm not the same person as you. I'm always going to be on the opposite side and you know i'm on the planet side more than on people's um but i can learn from you that i have to adjust and so she you know she makes the determination that she's almost going to be this anti-villain and that she um goes back into her van and you see like these kind of plant creatures emerge from the back of the van um as she leaves uh she pulls up in seattle which was her main destination and that now she's on a new mission and that's to take down essentially the greed of humanity that's causing the death of the planet. And uh, as we get to this part in the art, Takara's art really starts to clean itself up. It gets from that more shadowy, horrific aspect of her because when she was with Woodrow and the Lamia, she had like this, uh, she had like this green growth that was kind of hard and almost mossy. Um, that kind of falls off and the art gets a lot more clean. And she becomes, you know, the human version of Pam with a little bit of green streaks on her uh, back into the coveralls. And she leaves the van there as these, you know, greenish plant creatures go to set upon uh, Seattle, almost as, a, you know, that's her army that she's going to use and she's going to try to recruit people. But it ends with Harley reading this letter and be like, Pammy, I'm coming for you. Um, and yeah, so the, the issue ends with with it looks like Harley's gonna start being involved in this book and that uh that you know Ivy has a new mission and she's gonna go about it. So thoroughly enjoyed it. It almost felt like if this was the last issue, it just would have been a reset of the status quo. From where you know Tynan kinda had her as Queen Ivy underneath Gotham ready to pull it down up upon itself to her getting her humanity back and and hating that and hating that side of her to her coming to terms with I am still human. We, I can't destroy humanity because that's, that's us. We need it to survive. But I can go after those that are corrupting it. Um, and yeah, so as an Ivy fan, I'm thoroughly enjoying Wilson's take on the character. I'm excited to see where this goes because we knew from the solicits that um, she was going to have this new take uh, on her and almost a new mission. Uh, and that was set here. So it almost feels like, again... I hate to draw parallels with, with Swamp Thing, but where Swamp Thing had that first section and it did so well that it got a second part. I don't know how much longer this is going to go because we kind of saw in solicits that we're, I think we're getting at least another five issues. Uh, so, it's going up to 12 at least. And 
Okay. I think there's the idea is that they might renew yeah. it again for another six if it's okay. you know, keeps selling well. So yeah, so if we get to twelve, you know, it'll feel like this is part two coming up, and this was part one. Uh, and yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying it. So I'm gonna give uh, Poison Ivy an eight point five. All right, cool. Um, that is on to Dark Knights of Steel issue eight. Tom King rating with Yasmin Putri on the art. Um, I will say the long gaps between issues, which have felt very pronounced, I have to say. Yes. Uh, definitely hurt things a little bit because mm-hmm. uh, as I was reading this today, I was kind of like, I was like trying to remember certain things and I was like, okay, right, all right. So we have, and I'm, I'm trying to remember, okay, Matt, do you remember exactly who this Joker is? Because I, I remember it being a yeah. crazy combination. It's it's the Green Man. So he's a Green Lantern, Lex uh, Luthor, that's also the Joker. I knew it was the Green Man. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what it was. Lex Luthor is also the Joker. Yep. And I, I saw him at the start of the issue and I went, okay, I remember the, the reveal of who this was making me like cackle yep. with like absurd laughter but i don't i couldn't remember yep. what it was mm-hmm. uh, and i think there's little things the smaller things than that that i, I was yep. kind of like trying to remember through that no the broad strokes are still there that, that's fine mm-hmm. um you know the main thing here is that you know uh the the amazons along with the the, the black lightning empire or whatever, yep. <laughs> whatever they're the, called. the house of storms there's the storms there you go yep. they're on their way to start war with the elves because of the death uh which they think supergirl the zala yep. you know did um and we have black canary and oliver queen and the and the cells and they start to bond so that's kind of you know, obviously tying into like yeah oh, this I, is how this is how this relationship forms in this universe kind of thing I, man through through deceased through this i need a tom at least just a miniseries tom taylor green arrow black canary because he seems to get the relationship better than most oh sure and just their their small talk through the cells you know i just i just love it um because because oliver uh takes the her her guard off that allows her to talk and you know her they thought i was a banshee well are you and it's just it's those little moments that are really good that he captures them well yeah uh so basically you have the army coming through the 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 forest and amanda waller and harley try to talk them out of it uh -hmm. constantine's pistol and he wants to just immediately start throwing fireballs Mm-hmm. Poison Ivy gets involved uh, and sort of holds them off. Uh, yeah. But that's when, you know, Joker, Luther, or whatever we're calling him. <laughs> Shows <laughs> up, yeah. The green, we'll just call him the Green Man. Sure, the Green Man. Yeah. He comes in and sort of deals with Ivy so they can get through. And the elves don't really want to fight, or rather they do. Wallace try to, like, you know, say, hey, we don't have to actually go to war. Let's just, like, yeah. you know, get you out of here kind of thing. And Wonder Woman and Zala, who are obviously in love, like go down mm-hmm. to try and stop this army and talk them out of it. Uh, but we have the reanimated, you know, Jefferson's son, who yep. is, uh, you know, was, was brought back. You know, that was all teased, you know, before Constantine was up to his tricks to bring yeah. him back. They, they used the Lazarus from, yeah. from Roz. Yeah. Yeah. Starts making Supergirl choke. And, uh, like, you know, th- this is when Lara jumps in and. It kind of feels like it's like starting to de-escalate, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Paula puts her hand out, and uh, you know Jefferson's daughter's not really happy about this—the idea that they're going to do this peacefully. But then Lara, in the big mm-hmm. shocking moment for the end of the issue, uses her heat vision to split Paula in half vertically. So she goes, does a line down yep. the middle of her body with the heat vision. And it's this glorious page, and you just see Wonder Woman scream "Mother" as as the final panel. Yeah. Well, 
And Zala, Zala's on that page too, right? And she looks shocked as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I definitely feels like it's going down the path of, oh, Yara is a, you know, brutal, merciless bitch yep. is where it seems like well, it's going. And, and remember, we had thought that there was, you know, the Kryptonians, and we thought it was Cal, and then we thought it was Zala. This is clear that it's been Lara the whole time, and she's been trying to egg them into war. She clearly wants to fight. I mean, that's, that's yeah. very clear right now. <laughs> I mean, that, if nothing else. Because Allah had told Diana that she she didn't have anything to do, right? She didn't kill. No, the kid. no. So, uh, I, yeah, I've been another Kryptonian. Well, we were thinking shapeshifter before, right? We were thinking yeah. what shapeshifter could have turned into her, but I suppose it's quite believable given that it's, you know, a relative that if she puts on the outfit yep. from a distance, she'll make look like her yep. daughter. Kind of right? thing because then that's where jefferson's son kind of is also like he feels bad for what he had done even though like this was a woman that he thought might have murdered him you mm -hmm. know he is telling constantine that that didn't feel good to, to try to choke her um and stuff so there's there's a lot of shades of gray being played here but i ended this issue definitely thinking that it was laura that's been trying to go to war for whatever reason yeah um uh know. You know, and obviously we're building up as well to, like, Batman's big return, because obviously yep. that, that was set up, he was with the Kents, and it's like, mm -hmm. oh, that was a couple issues ago now, so we're sort of yep. waiting for his big, like, hurrah to come in and help mm -hmm. save the day. Uh, so, I, yeah, I mean, I'm having fun with the book, and I, I do mm -hmm. think it's, it looks good, obviously, and the yep. scenes flow really well, and the dialogue kind of pops. As, like to say, the Oliver and Dinah moments are really cool. I mm -hmm. love the ending. I thought the it was, you know, a brutal... Like, they made it as gory as they probably could and keep it a teen, you know, yeah. comic, you know, but without making it that, that mature reader tag. They mm -hmm. went probably as violent as they could with it, which I appreciate. Um, you know, it's, it's not quite, but, you know, if, if you can make me give, if you can give me a little taste of that Homelander magic, you know, that when Homelander just, like, burns someone's head off yeah. with his eyes, give me a little bit of that and it'll sell yeah. me your, your Kryptonian villain for sure. Mm -hmm. Like, that's probably the only the disappointing thing is whenever Zod shows up to fight Superman is that he's, you know, if he kills a human, he doesn't just, like, beam through yeah. him with his heat vision to sort of sell. No, Zod's an evil Superman. He will do this. <laughs> right, right. That said, though, Zod's not as bad as a Homelander. Zod's got more logic no. and sense to him. But... Well, yeah, Zod, Zod, at the end of the day with, with Zod, though, is you feel like he's just trying to keep his culture alive, right, through, through Krypton. Yeah, Zod's um, more like a... You know, he's like a military general. He's you know, he's yeah. a he's a leader who wants to conquer. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't even know which leader in Earth history I'd compare him to, but he's yeah. Know. Either way, we're gonna look like we have you know we're gonna look stupid for trying to compare him. Probably, but, yeah. But I mean, when when you look at the origin of him trying to save Krypton and the Science Council not listening, you know, I always like that version of Zod that you know Jor-El tried to talk him out of his revolution. You know, but that's what mm. got caught because they knew catastrophe was coming. Um, I do like that one. It does make him a little bit more sympathetic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know. So I mean, I, I obviously have never been as in love with this this premise as mm -hmm. as you have, and I do think the delays are hurting it a little bit. And yeah. I like because I mean, we had, and it's it's kind of weird. And um, you know, maybe there's reasons why Putri's been falling behind or whatever but there was that big gap that was kind of the intentional mid gap of the, of the run but it kind of felt like all of a sudden there was a big gap between seven and eight again uh, you know and yeah. six and seven or whatever so yeah uh so there's a, a shame that it's maybe lost a bit of momentum because of that but mm -hmm. 
no. But yeah, the, the, the big beats were fun, and it's mm-hmm. always an easy read, so I can't really fault it in that sense. Yeah, no. Yeah. So, all right, what are you, what are you giving Dark Nights of Steel? I'm going to give this a 7.5. Yeah, um, I'll just go straight to 7. Uh, I did really love the ending, though. The horror movie fan in me loved the ending. <laughs> I'll say that for the brutality of it. Uh, so, cool. Alright, well, I'm going to talk about a Patreon book every month at patreon.com slash TV, one of the higher tiers. You can make me read a book once per month. Uh, I have two from October to do. Um, I was going to do both this week, but uh, I didn't get a lot of sleep uh, last night, and I just mm-hmm. I couldn't stomach reading another book, to be honest. So I'll do it next week uh, with uh, next week's lot of books. But uh, American Vampire, issue 30 is what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, this is the Dracula story continuing. Uh, we left off last issue with Hobbs and Felicia and the kid uh, with... These, you know, these vampires that have been in hiding, uh, not the, the Carpathians, which is the ones that uh, Dracula can control, um, but, you know, this army of vampires are coming, and Hobbes is trying to convince the leader of this group to, hey, like, you can do what you want with me after, but we have to, like, get out of here, we have to stop Dracula, uh, and they're not really buying it, uh, like, and the horde's coming, they've got, like, a big... The bit, it looks like a cannon, but it's actually like a big UV light. <laughs> so, like, when they, they open the door, the, the vampires open the door and they fire this UV light at them, uh, it's like, okay, that'll hold them off for a little bit. Uh, but it looks what, like an old-school cannon on a couple of wheels. What year are we in in this one? We're still in the 50s, right? Uh, yeah, or, I think or so. Or the 60s? 50s, I can't remember exactly. But okay. Because I, I, mean, I remember when it picks back up, second cycle, I think, is the 60s, and then you have 76. It's, it's, it's probably still the 50s. So, it's, okay. Probably. I mean, is that, other than the spin-offs, maybe, it, it typically does move forward constantly, so it was probably just yeah. later in the 50s. Okay. Um, but, so so they bail, and they get to a plane that they've got hidden, they've got a secret bunker. And this is, you know, sometimes these American vampire issues, like, they'll have, like, really quick sections to read through, because it's just, you know, it's just the art telling the story with action, and you've got the big doors open as they make their little biplane escape, and they come out of the side of this cave, and all the snowy mountains, it's all very pretty, it's all very fluid, and feels great. Um, but Hobbes is still trying to convince, because this vampire is like, look, no, you're going in front of the vampire council, which, by the way, what we do in the Shadows of TV show has ruined anytime someone starts talking about a vampire council, because all I can see is, like, their vampire council in my head now. But yes. that's, yeah, that's okay. Uh, but Hobbes like, no, look, you made a deal with the Russians, it turns out, right? He's like, you made a deal with the Russians, uh, and sort of help them set this up, but okay, and maybe maybe the Soviets will will contain them because the Soviets are transporting them somewhere to Mo- somewhere in Moscow, I think, and they're going to bury them and lock them down and keep them contained. Uh, and it actually turns out that the vassals at one point did kind of try to do what the Soviets are doing now, which is they try to kind of harness Dracula's power to see if they could use it in any way because it would be obviously a huge thing to be able to use. But they realize it's not going to work, it's too dangerous, so they stopped. Uh, basically, okay, let's say the Soviets will contain them okay. Maybe it's better than what the vassals were doing under London Bridge. But you need to be sure, because if he gets out, if he's not secure, then the world is doomed, and you can't like take that risk. And the other vampires in the group kind of end up agreeing with Hobbes, and he's like, okay, we'll go check. And it's around here as well that Hobbes tells his backstory, so we actually get kind of Hobbes' origin, which is kind of cool, because he's been this reoccurring character Mm -hmm. since the very first arc. Uh, And it turns out he was a young police officer back in, like, the 
what year was it? Uh, 1917, so just uh, towards the, the, the back half of World War One. Uh, he was a police officer in in London, and he encountered vampires at first because someone had actually the the Renfield of the day had actually successfully taken Dracula's body out of the uh the bridge or wherever it was and had it in the back of a truck. But the truck, you know, uh, you know, ends up encountering the police and they they, they shoot at it and it flips over. And Hobbs, young Hobbs, and he's you know he's you know he's got the stupid you know old policeman's hat on the, the old British policeman's hat. He looks into the coffin, which is cracked open, and that's where his memory of that day ends. But the next thing he remembers is waking up, and he found out that in that time that he blacked out, he murdered his wife and child with an axe. And it's like, oh shit. Okay, so Hobbs is actually a direct victim of being manipulated by Dracula, like Dracula. Just getting that one bit of like eye contact or whatever it was with the the coffin being slightly open did a, a Jack Torrance on him, like made him kill his wife and son. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, so this is why he's so terrified of Dracula. This is what got him involved with vampires in the first place. Um, you know, because he, he obviously he was uh, you know, he wasn't on the police force after that <laughs> naturally. Um, right. So he ended up being taken in by the vassals and, you know, uh, that sort of leads him on the path to where we know him from. Uh, but they ultimately agree, and I love the art here, there's a transition to, okay, we know that they're taking Dracula, this is the train line they're on, and we cut to kind of like a map that goes into these like just white panels of the snow in an event, but there's like one little line of blood, and then you see a lot of bodies, like just really small in the snow, and then you sort of go up close and you see like a and the, the the red's quite muted, but it still pops because it's just all white, you know, with little bits of black highlights here or there for the track or whatever. But it's mostly just white, and then just this red for the the bodies in the snow. And um, but there's one left that's kind of crawling, and this is you know we, this is us skipped ahead to uh, Hobbs and Co finding basically all the people who were on this train. Like Dracula has escaped; he is not on this train anymore. Um. You know, there is, like, uh, Soviets waiting up ahead in the event that this is happening. Um, yeah. Like, because they were putting them over a bridge on the train track, and they're going to blow up the bridge, which they do. So this 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 train goes down, um, and, like, that's it. Like, they're done. Except, of course, um, you know, it doesn't matter because the Renfield character's already moved the coffin. You know, that's why all these guys are dead. Uh, Dracula's escaped and you're all screwed. Uh, and then it sets up its final big thing because at this point these vampires are like, oh, we just have to run to the west side of the planet because Dracula's reach only goes so far, we just have to run and be in the opposite side of the planet. And Hobbes is like, nah, that's not true because he's trying to make his way back home uh, to the island next to Romania and if he gets there um, he's built, uh, they call it a throne, but what it basically is, it's like Cerebro for Dracula, where it'll amplify his, you know, his power, his influence. His presence. Yeah, yeah. It'll, infl- it'll amplify it to the entire planet, and he will control every Carpathian on Earth. And, and that's, obviously, he can directly control them, but he clearly has an influence on everyone. Anyone who comes into, like, direct contact with him, like, ends up doing, you know, Hobbes' story earlier on, like, one little moment with him, resulted in this horrific crime and the murder of his family uh it looks like an electric chair actually and that's the last page that's the big cliffhanger is like mm-hmm. okay these are the stakes 
Dracula is actually out now in the open, and he might make the world just fall into darkness if he gets to this chair, if he gets to this cerebro-style thing. Uh, yeah, I'm loving this arc. This is... I won't say it's my favourite arc necessarily, because I think that the character work is maybe stronger in some of the Peril arcs, or maybe like the, uh, you know, Survival of the Fittest arc. But I think in terms of, like, the stakes and the plot, this may be my favourite, if that makes sense, because mm-hmm. the way they're building up Dracula's influence here, it's, for, since the very first issue of this arc, it, they've, they've treated him like, no, he is the coming of Satan. Like, if, if he is unleashed, this is the big deal that he is. And every single thing since then, I love the transition in this issue in particular to the uh, the train that he was supposed to be on, and you just get all these bodies in the snow. It's like, oh shit, no. Like, he's already gone. He's already, like, you, you wanted to check and make sure everything was going smoothly. It's already over. The train's already off the tracks. Not literally, the train's actually still running on the tracks, but, like, Dracula's not on it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, I, I love that transition. I thought the art looked great there. The big plane escape from the, the cave was also pretty cool. Um, yeah, so I, I love all this stuff. I, I Obviously, I love the uh, everything that deepens the mythology of the vampires, because that's one of the, the cool things about this book, is how it tries to incorporate all these different things into the vampire lore uh so yeah wonderful set me up for the next issue i'm excited for it i can't wait uh you know nice easy nine out of ten for uh issue 30 of american vampire i keep saying i'm gonna go back and reread this art because a lot of this i know i read it but i don't remember a lot of it yeah i like the cerebro thing i don't remember so i think i have it i'm gonna check when we're done here um my last trade see if it's in there it's it's nice to see because it's uh i think i always remembered the first couple of arcs best mm-hmm. from american vampire and then i think because i fell it may, may not be because of quality but i remember like second cycle been hard to follow because there kept being yep. delays or whatever mm-hmm. um so i'm curious to get to that stuff now but I, I, it's actually very reassuring to get to this arc which is a bit later on and be like oh shit this is actually maybe up there with my favorite arc uh so mm-hmm. that's cool yeah, because uh, you know the doll, but you know, Beast in the Cave is like one of the weakest things that the books yeah. had. That was like a little three issue arc. Yeah, uh, I mean, Survival of the Fittest is still my favorite. Just you're you're putting, you know, uh, vampires in World War Two, and just you know, Cash. I love that character so much. I, I like I love so. the character stuff in that as as mm-hmm. well as the first two arcs. But I think yeah. in terms of plot, I like this arc the most. So. Oh yeah, yeah, it sounds great. I, it seems very familiar, but. I'm having a hard time remembering it if I read it or not. Yeah. So, or I could have just had somebody telling me at the comic book shop what was going on. But, but yeah, all the stuff with Dracula, it doesn't, I remember the Hobbs stuff, but I don't remember him building the throne. Mm. So that's why, yeah, I have to check. Yeah. All right. Uh, there you go. That's, uh, that's the pick. Mm-hmm. Which will take me out of the part of the show, which is where we pick our favorite panel slash moment of the week, favorite art, favorite cover, and top five books. Uh, or in my case, top four, because it was only four I read this week, because it was mm-hmm. a quiet week. And I really didn't want to read uh, Batman and Joker duo book. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Matt, what is your panel slash moment of the week? Um, So I'm going to go from, um, from Poison Ivy. It's when she looks at mm-hmm. the kid who answers her and... She, you know, she makes the connection that we are the group, that we can't exist without each other. Um, just a, it's a really good moment and a really good character, you know, piece for Ivy. So that's mine. 
Uh, there's, there's one or two things I'd be tempted from either Gotham City or Batman. You know, the, the conversation between Slam and mm-hmm. Richard in the car, I think, is really good. But uh, mm-hmm. I think I just have to go with the uh, uh, Mary upsetting Darla at the end of Shazam. Yeah. Just, just a hit real hard, and I have to uh, get yep. the props. <clears throat> Um, if I hell even Darius still had the big gory bit at the end, which uh, yeah. I, you know, given my taste, I could also there's, pick. So there's something from each of the books I read this week that yeah. I picked. So it was a pretty good for big moments. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, my my average score across the board was pretty solid yeah. this week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if if my lowest score was a seven and everything else was like an eight or an eight point five or whatever, like you know, yeah, good week. Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, cover of the week. Um, I. So, I think that um, Batman's got a Matina variant. It's uh, the Zoo NR Batman, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, ultra painted and stylish, looks really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have to kind of go between two of the Shazam covers. Obviously, the main mm-hmm. Doc Shiner cover's great. Um, but the Jim Bartel one, I- I'm not always someone who goes for Jim Bartel, but mm-hmm. I-, I do think this one looks really good. And um, it-, it looks like a. I don't think it's got anything to do with it, but because no. of the, the stars around her, it's making uh-huh. me think of the Paramount logo a little bit. Me too. Bit. <laughs> me too. Uh, and it's, which makes me feel kind of old and Hollywoody, which I think actually suits yeah. the, the Silver Age vibe quite a bit. So mm-hmm. uh, that's my pick. I'll go with the Jim Bartel Shazam. Cover. All right. Well, so I had, it, I had it narrowed down between that and a Poison Ivy cover, and you just made it easy. Um, okay. There, yeah, there's a Jenny Frisian uh, Poison Ivy cover. So... We're back on the Jenny version bandwagon. Um, doing Catwoman for a while, and, and uh, we weren't reading Catwoman. So, so what you're saying is it's a tale of two gens for best. Yes, cover Jen this Bartel week. or or Jenny Frisian. Yes, um, but yeah, no, I I was it was edging ever so slightly. So had you gone with the Matina Batman, boom, it would have been the Jen Bartel Shazam. But because uh, that one is great, it made me think Paramount as well. But yeah, no, the Jenny Frisian Poison Ivy is like a profile of of Pam. And she's got all these vines coming from her and just the way that it plays with the colors of her. And it ha- almost has this gradient effect that goes from like brownish reds down to green. Um, it's just, it's really pretty. Yeah. Uh, all right. Art of the week. I mean, it's Shainer for Shazam. Yeah, I, I'm going with Shainer too. But, that, you know, mm-hmm. Hester and Jimenez Hester? Like, were, were tough yeah. competition. It's not like they were uh, slouching. <laughs> no, and Takara for... Um, Ivy, but then that also Poochery for Steel, Darkness sure, Steel, yeah. really good art across the board. But yeah, no, it just it's Shainer. It's it, it's so good. It's so expressive. Clean lines, you know. <clears throat> yeah, cool. All right, uh, top five books of the week then. All right, so uh, number one, is Shazam. Number two is Ivy. Number three is Gotham City Year One, number four is Batman, number five is Dark Knights of Steel. Yeah, my number one Shazam, my number two is Gotham City Year One, number three is Batman, number four is Dark Knights of Steel. Uh, nice and simple. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll tell you what's coming next week from DC Comics, uh, and I have been keeping an eye out uh, for like mm-hmm. issue ones coming out from elsewhere that we might want to try. Uh, there is okay. a new Fantastic Four book next week. I don't think either of us are that interested in it. Who's writing it? <laughs> Oh, I don't even remember. Uh, it, it wasn't a name that stuck out to me anyway. Gotcha. Uh, so here's what's coming from DC next week, though. Uh, we have Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths issue 6, so the penultimate issue of the big mm-hmm. event. Uh, we got Wonder Woman 793, which we did both drop, so it's not a concern to us, but uh, yep. it's coming out. Uh, nice House in the Lake issue 11. 
Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Batman vs. Robin issue 3. Batman Urban Legends issue 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Batgirls issue 12. I Am Batman issue 15. We have the new Golden Age issue 1. That's a one-shot uh, from John's, which is uh, presumably setting up some of his JSA stuff that he's yep. going to be doing. So obviously we're going to be looking at that. Uh, we got Superman Son of Kal-El issue 17. We got Batman Incorporated issue 2. We have the Death of Superman 30th Anniversary Special issue. Well, this is a 80-page, $10 book. Uh-huh. I don't know if that's fitting into the schedule for us next week, but it is no. coming out, so if you want to have a look at it, uh, there it is. Uh, we got The Flash to Fastest Man Alive issue 3. We got Wildcats issue 1, which I am going. To, I think I am going to look at that and see how it is, just because, you know, Rosenberg, I think, sounded enough yeah, to, to give it a try. I don't know much about Wildcats, but I've liked enough of Rosenberg's DC work that I can justify taking the chance. It's an issue one, so I would hope that he writes it mm-hmm. with the idea that a lot of new people are going yeah. to be uh, reading it. And I'm uh, sure it's a continuation of his Grifter story, too. Probably, probably so, yeah, yeah. You know, because they introduced, um, what's her name? Zealot in there, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the last book is Multiverse 18 Justice issue 6, so. Uh, that's what's coming out next week. Uh, obviously, Nice House in the Lake is kind of the, the one I'm most excited about, but Batman v's Robin's been a wild ride so far, and obviously yep. Dark Crisis is a, a hoot because it's wacky and big. Plus, you know, yeah. a Jeff Johns comic, which is... There's that. Uh, Dark Crisis, I'm excited to see where it goes. It's almost done, right? It's out of seven, right? Yeah, it's out of seven, yeah. So, so it's the penultimate. So... so hell of a cliffhanger, probably, I'd imagine. Yeah, probably uh, a huge cliffhanger. Yeah. So yeah. Uh but that is what's coming next week. So cool. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, that that's about the, the gist of the show there. Uh I will uh take this time to thank our Patreon producers for the month. Thank you to Tyler Hessen, the Palisades, David Short, Board now, Christopher Moy, David Brown, Al Tradesman, and Alison M. Fordice. Uh they are all in the higher tiers over at Patreon. But you can support us over there uh for you know as little as three dollars a month and get some bonuses for your trouble. The five dollar tier specifically you get early access to the show. Whenever it's ready on the Saturday, whatever time that may be, you get it then, as opposed to waiting for the release time on the Sunday. So if that's of interest, uh, go and have a look. And if you want to support the content, you know, that's a way of doing it. You also support us for free by liking, subscribing. You can rate the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Give us five stars. Share us on Twitter. We're at DC Comics Podcast. And, uh, you know, just generally spread the word. All those things do help. So thank you very much for uh, joining us. Uh, and maybe one day we'll see Connor again, but I don't Who? know. I don't know. I mean, no, I'm not teasing yeah. it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. I just say maybe one day. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's all right. You'll see me and Matt again next week uh, mm-hmm. for more uh, DC comic shenanigans. Uh, but thank you for joining us once again. We always appreciate it. Keep reading DC comics. And remember to never get lost in the Speed Force. Thank you.